2: words or less with ray harkins today is a good day and that is because we have kevin seconds on this particular podcast which i am thrilled to say because seven seconds huge band for me huge band i know for many many people because they they were on the ground floor you know as far as like the early 80s you know hardcore scene is concerned they were uh, they were definitely the band that was doing it, you know? Like, just off the heels of Minor Threat and everything else that was happening in the 80s. Seven Seconds were huge. And they did what they did in their own weird corner of the world, which was Reno, Nevada. I mean, like, it's just—you'll it, you, hear Kevin articulate and speak why he was living in Reno and, like, how interesting that whole scene was. But there are so many things about this band where— You know, realistically, we shouldn't be talking about these guys anymore, but because they left such a long-lasting legacy, and let's talk about the crew. The reason that we're having Kevin on this show is because Trust Records, a great record label that is documenting some amazing records and re-releasing them, making sure that they are available to everybody that cares about them, Trust Records re-released The Crew, that is out on, uh, you know, it's like gatefold vinyl, it's out on every streaming provider around, because that record was just not available. <laughs> you would not be able to find it. And that that's a crime. Like, you want people to be able to listen to what others would define as, you know, a really important record in a band's catalog. Of course, you could find tons of other 7 Seconds out there, which is great, but the crew and Trust Records, they have brought this to life. And so Kevin came on this podcast, and I... oh. So exciting. But another exciting thing, first of all, email the show. You can always email the show at 100 wordspodcastgmailcom at gmail.com. I love to hear from you, guest ideas, whatever the case may be. We're approaching eight years of this podcast, which is incredible to say. And uh, I have to thank you for it. You know, you you guys, you, the listener, I'm pointing to you and you and you, have definitely changed my life in a positive way for me to be able to continue to do this show and support it in so many ways. Like, it's, it is not lost on me because – it's, uh, it's really important for me to continue to do this, not because this is like a money-making endeavor, but because I find this music scene and this whole DIY punk and hardcore scene to be incredibly important to me and foundational, and I want to be able to instill that in others and give them more stories about people that are involved with this. So anyways, let me get off my soapbox, but let me get right back on because I want to talk to you. I watched this film called Summer of Soul. It comes out, I want to say, in a week or so. But, I mean, regardless, when you're listening to it, Google it, find it, immediately watch it. It is an incredible documentary done by, there's, I think, the producer on it, uh, Questlove. This is a music event I was never aware of. And, you know, I, by no stretch of the imagination, am some, like, musical historian nerd. If you want to talk to me about, you know, mid-'90s metalcore... I'll go pretty deep with you. But, you know, I I know enough to be dangerous. But the Harlem Soul Festival, Music Festival, I can't remember the exact title of it, but this happened at the same time as Woodstock. And we're talking about tens of thousands of people that flocked to this free concert in a park in Harlem in New York City in 1969. And this whole documentary shows unearthed footage, stuff that people have never seen from like Stevie Wonder... The, uh, you know, the Mavis Staples and her dad and just so many incredible Sly and the Family Stone. There were so many things that just blew my mind. It was like, honestly, every 10 to 15 minutes, I sat back as I was watching the documentary and I was like, dude, are you kidding me? Like, I can't believe we are watching this. I can't believe I am watching this. And it was really great too, because it was also setting it in a historical context while sharing amazing music with you. It was also, also sharing the social relevance behind what made this thing so special and why maybe people aren't talking about it anymore. And so this documentary is crucial viewing as far as I'm concerned. So everybody should go out and pursue to watch that documentary in whatever way, shape, or form you can. So again, the movie is called Summer of Soul, and it's an incredible documentary. It's about two hours long, totally, totally engaging the entire time. So watch it, okay? Anyways, let's dive into Kevin Seconds, okay? Great dude, great conversation, and we go places. So it was really fun. Here we are with Kevin Seconds. I'm sure that this story, uh, you know, has not it, it is not unique, but uh, I'm sure just makes you laugh because uh, you know my uh, my I'm 40 years old. My first band, uh, aptly named Doom Society, which of course you can probably close your eyes and hear the terrible punk music coming out. <laughs> but uh, we covered "Young Till I Die," which so nice. which, which w- what's funny is because I got into that via, and I'm sure you've heard this before. There's a hardcore band called Battery. Um, that yep. covered Young Till I Die. And so I, you know, sort of reversed engineered it where like, oh, I like this battery cover of the 7 Seconds song. And then, ah. like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm sure it feels interesting for you to kind of hear the generational influence where it's like, you know, like I, I had a general awareness of what's of who 7 Seconds was, but it wasn't until, you know, another band sort of held my hand to be like, oh no, like you need to get into these guys. Um, right. Is that you know? Uh, where does that sit in your head? Is it just like wild the fact that you know you could still be existing in the you know punk rock hardcore ecosystem where it's like oh yeah people you know the name still resonates or you know how does how does it kind of sit in your head? I, I realize that's a big question, but
3: <laughs> yeah, well no, it's a good question. I, I you know it it it's funny because at a, at a fairly early stage in our little history. Um, we I always talk about how the the, the the term legendary is always sort of overused from you know like I, I almost hate the term but I remember I, I, we'd been playing for like five years and I kept seeing flyers a legendary seven seconds I'm like wow we're already legendary what does this mean like we're almost over you know but um I realized early on that that we there was like a whole new especially with the sort of the 88 1988 youth crew stuff um, that that kind of that kind of got younger kids interested in us because of the bands that they that were kind of f- from part of that scene and those bands sort of grew up listening to us and so even though i thought we were relevant we were touring all the time making records you know it it was you know only s- maybe seven, eight years after we had started that people were always going, uh, Oh yeah. You know, you guys are like the godfathers of it. I'm like, well, we're not that old. I mean, we're older than the." <laughs> so, um, I don't know. I-, I think, I think it's great. I, I feel like if, if, um, and, may- and maybe I'm not even answering your question, but I think if, if, you know, if, if younger, uh, bands come up and, and, and are showing a sort of appreciation for some of the bands that they love and grew up with and it, 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 it exposes that band's music to a younger crowd or a younger generation. I think it's great. And, and we certainly have benefited from that. And um, I, I got no complaints with that. I think it's, it's pretty cool. It, you know, it's, it is wild because again, you know, we, we really up until we, you know, just before we broke up, we, we really, were still staying busy, you know, and we were trying to be as active as possible that, you know, active as a bunch of 50 year old guys could be, could be, I guess. But um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's all been great, and uh, I can't complain about a single thing. We've just gotten so much support and love over the years. I'm I'm just eternally grateful, no matter what. Right. Well, it is funny. I mean,
2: I'm glad you brought up the notion of you know uh, not being put out to pasture, but just the idea that like we've been a band for five years and we're considered legendary. Like, right. <laughs> that is a weird, you know. I don't care what age you are, like being called legendary, like that's just kind of weird, you know? (laughs) It it
3: just automatically, I mean, you know, people do it in a compliment. They do it in a, in a, in a, 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 it's all loving and a a wonderful, you know, they're, 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 they they think they're being respectful, but it's really kind of like, you know, you hear legendary and it's like, well, no, like Rolling Stones are legendary, or even like maybe the Misfits are legendary, you know, at this point, Black Flag's legendary, you know, I feel like if you're still active and you're still, you know, making new music and that kind of stuff it's like i i want to you know if you want to call me legendary once it's all we're put to pasture that's fine with me but hey you can call me legend I, if you want to call me legendary now that's perfectly fine i got no I, got, I have no complaints about it but it is funny when you're young younger and you're getting that kind of stuff right <laughs> heaped on your head you're like whoa do do we have something, should we, should we be dressing better? Do we, should we try to rehearse more? I don't know.
2: (laughs) Right. Should we be more professional? Yeah. yeah.
3: Right. Right. it's like legendary. It's a pretty big word.
2: (laughs) Right. Totally. And especially too, where it's like, you know, that, that word being applied to you but it's just like, Hey, I'm like 26. Like (laughs) this really doesn't feel legendary. Like what? Yeah. (laughs)
3: Yeah. Well, I remember having a conversation like that with Ray, Ray of today from youth of today. And, and, you know, they were just, they had really started to kind of blow up a little bit within our, the the underground scene or whatever and i remember i i remember him sort of communicating to me that he was really struggling with of all the sort of adulation i was like well you you know it, it it's just i guess it's part of it you know and either you have to you have to get good at balancing um that with the when when you get panned and people really go after your band or after you for something you said or some some music that you made And, um, but he was, I think he was like 24 or something and he was already going like, Oh, I don't know. This is, (laughs) I don't know if I'm up for this or not, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I I was going to ask, I I was actually going to ask this a little bit later, but it seems apropos to bring up now just the, you know, that notion of your identity being tied so closely to the art that you create and then, you know, doing your best to, you know, stay grounded. And of course, like that can mean so many different things because clearly no one in the hardcore and punk scene is like, you know, of the same levels, you know, Madonna or whatever, like, right, right, but there still is that, you know, notion of being, of people watching you grow up and, you know, kind of like the child actor scenario where it's like, Oh geez, yeah. like, you know, here's, here's you bearing your soul, um, you know, with your own personal art So how, you know, were you kind of, I guess, aware as the band, you know, started to receive some attention and how did you, I guess, kind of be able to battle that notion of like buying into like, Oh, I'm Kevin seconds. I mean, I know that is literally your name. You're you're not your God given name, but you're (laughs) right. Right. But how'd you separate those two things?
3: I, you know, I don't know. I just, I think we were surprised the whole time. Like every, every single good thing that would happen um just we'd all go holy shit that's great you know like we we I, I my brother and i started this you know in our in our bedroom that we shared at my mom's old apartment and it was always like you know we, we were such like little rock rock band dreamer guys before we got into punk and then when punk happened i always say that the reason i think that it was such a, uh, a, a i was i was so drawn to it was was that when i was like following all of these big time rock metal hardcore you know hard rock bands of the you know 70s or whatever I, I loved them and I was passionate about their music, but I, I never quite felt like I could be part of whatever they were doing, you know. And so it was always like you'd see, you know, fo- po- photos of Jimmy Page and Robert Plant j- getting off a private jet, you know. And you're like, that's never really going to be me, and it's not even what I want, you know. So like the punk rock thing just kind of opened the door to like, hey, this is a little more like realistic and and, and reasonable, and the music's great, and I, I and it was coming from younger people, so it just really made. It, I, it just resonated with me and I just sort of felt like so this is a this means that we're not supposed to be rock stars this means that we're not supposed to be inaccessible and um, stu- you know stuck up and, and egotistical and stuff and so I I just always try to tell myself that even at moments where I you know maybe was being I, I let my ego get carried away or I, I, I got a little hey I'm, maybe I am something special you know I got really good at it keeping myself uh Uh, uh, even i guess you know and and even in the moments where things were looking really good and and people were blowing smoke up our asses or whatever you know i there was always at first i'd be like yes yes but then i'd be like hold on a second you know like there's there's bound to be this is going to turn on us at some point or this is going to this is going to you know go away at some point and yet we're still going to need to be you know active and and writing and playing and recording and touring and stuff. And, and so I just, I just kind of followed that, you know, I just, I I thought anytime I sensed it coming from a bandmate, I'd sort of try to politely respectfully say, Hey, you know what, we're, let's always remember that, you know, this is fun and that we got into this for a certain reason and that we're, you know, we always want to keep that as the core of why we do what we do, you know? And, and I, I like to think we did, I don't think we ever got too carried away with the, The ego stuff, hopefully.
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, and especially too with the era in which you came up in, like that, the notion of being a career band, like you know, that didn't even exist. Like (laughs) absolutely,
3: absolutely, yeah, absolutely.
2: (laughs) Which we'll 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 pull that thread a little bit later, but kind of you know, putting the focus on you as an individual. I know you were born and raised in Sacramento, and then you know moved to Reno when you were your teenager and stuff. Mm -hmm. Sacramento is, uh, and you, you reside there currently that's a really interesting city because it's this, you know, weird hodgepodge of, you know, being the capital city, but then there's also a ton of rural areas and it's just this interesting sort of small town, big town conglomeration. Um, did you, yeah. Did you find that experience? Like as you were kind of growing up being like, Oh yeah, like I'm in a big town, but also not really.
3: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and, you know, growing up, you know, we lived in, 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 we went to the the whole gamut of living sort of in a, when my parents were together, you know, very suburban, boring, bland. And then when they got divorced, my mom was just raising us and it was all just shitty apartment complexes. And, and the good thing about that was, is that we were just being raised, uh, you know, around other and, you know, becoming friends with other poor kids, you know, and, and of all walks of life. So that, I, I think had we just stayed in the suburban sort of thing, I, I I don't think we would have been exposed to all kinds of different stuff. But we were, and that, I I always think that that was a good thing. ultimately, in the end, but yeah, um, Sacramento, you're right. It's 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 this this sort of you know there's a very keen sense of of state politics, and you know every other friend works for the state and works in some government oriented office. Um, but then if you ve- veer just like 20 miles north or south, it's just Trump, you know, it's very conservative, very like, you know, uh, crazy, <laughs> you know, so and we and where I live, you know, I live basically in the Midtown section. And we're, we're really it's a bubble. It's just this big, you know, uh, woke liberal, you know, bubble, which I'm I'm good with, you know, but yeah, it's just it's just um it's a it's an interesting city. You know, there's there's been there have been a lot of great uh, musicians coming out of the area. And it's just big enough to where it doesn't feel like I don't ever feel like I'm I'm, I'm kept from, from experiencing something I want, but it's also, um, I like the small town, you know, I, 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 like the, the, I, I don't think I could live in, in a, in a bigger, in a city bigger than than Sacramento. I've, I've tried and it's just, yeah, I just, I, I start to feel a little lost and weird. <laughs> so. Sure.
2: Well, I, I mean, you know, that, that comes with age where, you know, you feel your calibration and you're like, okay, this is too small. This is too big. Like, here we go. This right. feels like the mix.
3: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I didn't. know I don't know if I would have cared either way as a kid, but you know, as I've gotten older, I've definitely, I appreciate living in a neighborhood where there's, you know, oh look, we have trees, and you know, we live in a, a house that was built in nineteen nineteen or something, you know. So it's like you start to appreciate that kind of stuff. When I was a kid, I wouldn't wouldn't have given a, a, a shit about any of that stuff, you know. So right.
2: Yeah. That's not. That's not important. <laughs> Um, and so what was your family structure like as you were growing up? I mean, like you said, your parents got divorced. I don't know what age that happened. but I know you have a younger brother, but you know, what was the structure like as you were coming up?
3: Uh, I, 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 you know, my parents divorced when I was 11. So I, I have a vague memory of my dad. He was, you know, he was a good guy. He was, he was a cop when I was, when I was born. And then, um, he, you know, he was, I think 20 years older than my mom, so he had already been in World War II. He was a you know a hero in the war. Came home, uh, injured, got sent back, and decorate highly decorated. And then he decided to pursue law enforcement. And then he met my mom, who was a bit of a you know college uh, Berkeley you know gra- graduate. She you know had trained to play music, uh, piano classically, which was always always sort of talk regretting that she didn't follow that through. And then was kind of you know caught up in the the hippie culture of the sixty counterculture of the 60s. So she was really pretty much very socially active and aware. And and um, when d- they divorced, my mom was adamant. You know, she wanted custody of us, and we were all closer to her, so it, that that was fine with us. And but but that was the start of of, of a you know single mom raising three young kids. Um, her working and, you know, us, the minute we were able to work, go right to work, you know? And so it it was rough and, and it was, you know, it was harrowing at times. I mean, we, we grew up living in, you know, out of, you know, sort of on the welfare system and, and it, it, it you know, just like anybody else it just, you, you just watching my mom struggle and try to make ends meet and was, was, was tough, but also just see, seeing the strength that she had to keep us all together under a roof um, was enormously influ- inspiring and influential to me later on in life. I just thought, wow, I, 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 and, and before she passed away a couple of years ago, you know, I, I just I'll constantly, cause she was always sort of beating herself up. Like I could have been a better mom. I could have been this. I could have was like, you know, you did, you did fine. <laughs> you know, like we're, we're all relatively, you know, good, wise human beings. You did, you did really good. Don't stop beating you know, up your, yourself. But yeah, it, it just was, um, I mean, not, 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 terribly, you know, unique or anything. We just, we just struggled. And, and um, I, you know, I think uh, when we moved to Reno, there w- we kind of moved to Reno with the idea that there would, we we ha- we kind of have a do over, like just start everything over again. There was work supposedly. And, and um, you know, we, the rent was cheaper and we could live a little better than we, we were living in Sacramento at the time. And then that all kind of fell through. So, but once we kind of got <clears throat> upright and once everybody started to, acclimate and i started working when i was 16 and i i realized i i like i liked working and making money more than i liked sitting in a classroom where the, nobody cared what i was doing or <laughs> how well i did and uh and then punk rock happened and that was sort of the you know the start of er- everything or the or the the end of everything i just i was you know, brother my little brother steve and i were just we just became so you know passionate about it and and it just consumed us and um we both already wanted to like become, we wanted to be in, you know, band. We wanted to be musicians and get into bands, but we, again, like I said, we just didn't really quite know how to do that being, you know, underage it wasn't like you could start a band and go play anywhere, maybe a battle of the bands here and there, but there was no, we weren't going to be playing in nightclubs, you know? And so when punk rock came along, it really just kind of, I don't know. It just made, it it opened our eyes to the, the possibility that we could, we we found we there was something that we could do and and that was um that was all we could think about for sure forever <laughs> the, the the great awakening as they call it yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> it really was
2: uh so i mean it sounds like the, your experience with school was very much that <clears throat> academics were not important to you you weren't uh you know uh putting forth your best effort were you right. kevin
3: <laughs> no not really and and you know that, that was the other thing my mom actually taught english uh high school english for a number of years and so she was always really trying to keep our interest in you know in in education and uh i was i mean i was interested in education i i wanted to to do Better myself, I wanted to do better, but I just, I always felt like I just didn't have that one teacher who who inspired me to, to you know what I mean? I just, it was just like baby being babysat, and and uh, I didn't, I didn't ever fit in any category. Like my, you know, I'd have a, you know friends that were stoners or friends that were jocks or whatever. It seemed like everybody, everything was about finding a, a nice place to, to fit into, and I just, for whatever reason, I just didn't learn how to appreciate. I didn't understand the, the value in that. I just thought, well, you know, most of my, my best friends don't even go to the same school I go to. They go to another school, you know, and, um, you know, I, I don't know, it just, it school just, it seemed always just like such a bummer, you know, you have to get up early, you have to sit through class and, you know, ultimately, I mean, later on in life, you know, when I, after I, I started to, you know, live life and stuff. Uh, I've gone back and taken courses at like local community college and I really enjoy it. I like, I'm actually pretty decent at it and, and I enjoy the environment and stuff, but boy, when I was a kid, I was just not into it. <laughs> right. Just yeah. Did not you couldn't find your spot. Whatsoever. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. And, and so, uh, I'm guessing that you weren't, you know, uh, attracted to sports Were you kind of more, you know, an indoor kid or did you just kind of, you know, just try a little bit of everything?
3: I I was into sports actually when I was a kid I I uh, I played little league uh, baseball for a while uh, Babe Bruce I wasn't you know I wasn't great but I, I I I would make the team I tried football I was just too skinny and too little pop Warner football um, I ran track I did I was on a cross country team for a while that, w- that was a independent team called the the Striders it wasn't even a school team it was just something you could join
1: mm-hmm. and I
3: really wanted to be good at it because I did have friends that were really super. Great at the you know, great athletes and stuff, and I just always felt so lame, you know that I that that and they weren't in, in, interested in music. Like I loved music as a kid, and they were like, yeah, it's but they like the radio, and I like my mom had you know an amazing record collection, so I could just pull out anything from crazy old jazz records to like David Bowie, you know, like she 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 listened to Motown, she listened to Led Zeppelin, she listened to everything, and so I was so caught up in music by the time I was like you know I got into high school that. I just didn't relate to anything that was going on. But I did try, I tried my hand at sports. I, I, you know, I really wanted to be good at that. And I just, uh, just didn't quite, quite pan out.
2: <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, and was it, uh, I mean, like when you moved to Reno, uh, I mean, Reno is an insanely weird city. Like, yeah. I, I mean, this is coming from a person I was born in Vegas and like every time I traveled to Reno, it was just like, wow. So this is like a weirder, smaller Somewhat depressed, more depressing version of Vegas, even though Vegas can argue that it's a depressing city as well. But, um, right, right, you
3: know,
2: wh- did like was that, uh, like I-, I guess tough for you to acclimate to Reno, or did you kind of just like, all right, well, you know, I mean, this is what we have to do, so you know, I got no choice.
3: I, I, you know, it's a funny thing, I went up uh two weeks before my family moved up there. Uh, it, the, the story was, and I won't bore you with the details, but uh, the story was is that we had uh, uh, my mom's best friend was living up there and had a big house, and the idea was is. That she had like four bedrooms or something, and the idea was that we'd move up there, uh, move into the house, share the rent, and then my mom would go to work, and then when I was old enough, I'd go to work, and then we'd eventually move out once we could afford it. Well, the you know the week we got up there, we learned that uh, my mom's friend, her plans had changed, and so we we literally were homeless for about two weeks. We were living out of our car uh, until we could afford. My mom got a job at McDonald's, and then we got we got enough money to go live out of a motel for a while. And it was crazy. The whole thing was insane. Um, then we're talking 76, 77, 78. Um, Reno was really messed up. It was really just all about the gambling. There was nothing. If you were underage, there was just absolutely nothing for you to do. There was nothing, to, you know, and it was that way. I mean, I, I always say, and, and people who I grew up with in that, or the early stages of, of the Reno punk rock scene, um, we all agree that the, the re, that, that, that uh, a city like Reno is a perfect place to, for a flourishing punk rock scene because same with Vegas, you know, like it makes complete sense that young people would want a place to gather and and, and build a community because there's absolutely nothing there for you to do after you get out of school, you know. The big thing for us, uh, teenagers, this and keep in mind, you know, disco is just starting to hit, so there were there would be all like all ages events where a disco dance. And I remember my friends would go, Hey, you want to go to, with us? And I'd be like, I went one time and I'm like, I, I don't like the music. I don't like everybody's dressed like weird. It's like, and I was already an awkward teenager. So it wasn't like meeting girls was really going to be the, you know, it wasn't going to be, you know, uh, I wasn't going to have probably much like in that department. So every, the other thing was everybody would just cruise up and down, um, the, the, the main drag is uh, South Virginia street uh, on Friday and Saturday nights. And, I tried that, and it was just like this is just nowhere. You know, this is just, you know, we're doing nothing here. we nothing's happening. You know, so um, yeah, back then it was really, really, really terrible. And over the years, you know, Reno's become, I think, because the emphasis the emphasis was less on gaming. Like the the gaming industry kind of died out a little bit. Um, so Reno had to kind of rediscover what the 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 worth of of being a city and so now there's a great art scene up there there's there's a great music scene and it's it's kind of it's kind of happening anytime i go up there to see friends or 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 family up i really enjoy it you know but yeah as a kid it was just i i couldn't i wanted to get out of there so bad and i for 10 11 years i just worked and 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 uh, in misery, basically. And again, punk rock, you know, really saved my life. I don't, I don't know where I would have been had I not had that outlet. I don't know if it's I would have had any um, what interest other interests I would have had, you know, it's kind of crazy to think about.
2: Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I mean, I I can agree with you that, you know, Reno definitely has the ability to, you know, do what like Detroit and these other cities that it's like, oh, if we actually invest in the community and like have more exciting things happening, like people actually come here. This is exciting. Right, right, right. (laughs) And and keep it cheap to live, too.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, which it's not anymore. It's funny. It's like you know, I hear about people. Oh, I guess we're going to move to California. I'm like you're moving to California for Reno. Like how expensive can R- Reno be? But I guess it's it's getting pretty expensive up there. But um, yeah, I mean, once I left, you know, I, I the whole thing was always just to try and get out of there. The, the best part of Reno was that when we finally started cl- connecting with people that loved underground music, punk rock music, and 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 there was a we, we started to build up a little scene. That became really, really. Um, nice. It was like, okay, at, we we have a tribe. We, so we have a community. We we're not just the outcasts. And, you know, it's not. And you know, we're not gonna pick it up if we go and out with this group or, and you know play the record somebody's house or or throw a show in somebody's garage or whatever. And so for a good ten years, that's that was really what I focused on. I, I, I just I learned how to put on shows. I, I learned what it what it what you needed to do to put out a fanzine. My sister put out a fanzine, my little brother, everybody everybody in my family had some you know, we were always doing something, you know, either music or or, or starting zines or, you know, putting shows on and stuff. And so that kept me pretty occupied for the longest time. And then I, I sort of became this I became this infamous figure for all the wrong reasons. It was like all, I remember we I put on a show and I, it wasn't exactly legit. You know, I didn't get the, the, the proper entertainment permits and stuff. And it was great. I mean, it was like a hundred kids. I think it was like a, a uh, I don't know, De show or something. And, and uh, the cops came and put me in the back of the, the car and took me downtown. And it was like this big deal, you know, and they really thought they'd score. They thought they had they had, you know, they got, they had this mastermind who was trying to poison the, the youth of Reno. And, you know, they couldn't believe they Like, well, what are you in this for? How much money do you make? And I'm like, I, I'm not making anything. I, I'll be lucky if I get, you know, the, the, the 20 bucks I put in for a flyer in the in the whatever the cost it was to rent the place I had. And they were like, you know, they just couldn't believe I, I didn't do drugs. I didn't smoke. I didn't drink. They were like, come on, what's your, what's your, what's your, you know, what's your deal here, buddy. And it was like, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I'm really the most boring person. And you know, you're, you, you don't have a, a hardened criminal. You just got, <laughs> right. I
2: just want to do this thing. Right. You
3: just have this dumb shit that's, you know, that loves this music and is just trying to you know, make time here in Reno a little more uh, appealing, I guess. or whatnot, what but, yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that, that's funny. Especially,
2: yeah. Yeah. Especially in a town like Reno where it's like, you know, most people are, you know, viewed as degenerates yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, you got to be into something bad. Of course. I,
3: I remember saying that I'm like, isn't there enough, isn't there like some kind of uh, meth related crime that's going on right now that you guys are missing because you've got me, you know, here trying, they were trying, they were always trying to tie us into like gang, some kind of a, a gang thing or, or cult thing, you know? And it was always like, it, it, it was so naive everybody was so naive about what punk rock was and and what the symbols were and why we spray painted stuff you know they always had this deeper meaning and it really didn't it was just bored kids who just we were looking for any way to to have fun and express ourselves and and they couldn't quite understand that it was wasn't the
2: yeah it did make didn't make sense in their head no. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy oh boy band merch is important right it's important to you it's important to me it's important to this whole DIY. Lifestyle that we live. Lifestyle. Lifestyle determines my death style Anytime I say lifestyle, I'll feel like, oh man, it's some cheese ball branding thing. But you know what's not a cheese ball branding thing? Rockabilly.com. That is because they are the best provider of merch on the internet, as far as I'm concerned. And what I want to do is give you 10% off. Use this code 100Words, it gets you 10% off. It will, uh, you know, make you cooler amongst your friends because not only are you getting them the latest and greatest band merch that exists, but it's all officially licensed. The band gets paid, and uh, plus, you get ten percent off. So, one hundred words. Use that code. And Rockabilia is—they—they they just know exactly what they're doing. They can ship this stuff out to you quickly, efficiently. If they have—if you have any issues whatsoever, just write them real quick. Boom, they solve that problem. It's amazing. I've ordered multiple times from them, and I continue to order from them because I believe in this company so wholeheartedly. So again, go to rockabilia.com use that promo code 100Words, it gets you 10% off, sends them the info that you heard about it from the show, everybody wins in this scenario. So rockabilia.com, fan merch is your life. Fulfill that closet. Or fulfill?
4: How about fill the closet, all right? Thanks. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp.
2: And kind of you know on that idea of you know coming from a sort of musical household as far as you know, all of the different you know artistic influences that were playing into you know what you were getting into uh-huh. the I guess who would you kind of view as your uh, your musical Sherpa as it were where it's like you know because you were definitely you know at the ground floor of the you know hardcore punk rock movement because like you know now I, you look at it and it's like well. I find it weird when people don't get exposed to it, where it's like, what do you mean you haven't heard of that? <laughs> Even though it's yeah, still, yeah, yeah. yeah. but, um, you know, so I, I guess how were you discovering a lot of this stuff? Was it just, you know, uh, like kind of you and your younger brother bouncing stuff back and forth? Was there a local record store? How did you kind of uh, come about that?
3: At first there was nothing. And then th- then we heard, uh, we watched, a, we were living out of a little motel motel uh, in Sparks, Nevada. And my entire family was, my both my mom and I had jobs at McDonald's uh and it was pretty depressing and one night uh we were watching tv and there was a special some kind of special on um on the punk invasion of, in, in, in 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 England and it, it was just you know crazy it might have been, even been black and white i don't even remember but it was just like crazy footage the camera crews went in and the pit, sex pistols were playing um you could kind of see the band but they were mostly focusing on the crowd who were Gobbing, you know, spitting at each other. and They had chains around their necks and safety pins in their mouths, and and it, there was something between the the the, the just the crazy loud music that was almost indecipherable. But you just it just had such a a, a an intense, immediate sort of like wow, this is that's intense. That's like really intense. Whatever that music, whatever this music is, they're making. But and also the fact that it was just all youth based. It was all kids that were doing putting everything, kind of putting everything together. And in this, just this little teeny ten minute, fifty minute segment, I just it just sparked so much in me. I remember sitting there, and my family, my I, you know a friend of our families was there watching it with us. And I mean, it was just like he thought it was just like the, he was like, "What is this garbage?" Or you know, he just thought it was awful. Oh, and they had the lyrics to like "God Save the Queen," like they had it superimposed. You know, they were they were showing the the lyrics because you couldn't understand anything. And I had no idea really what, why a band would be talking about the queen or, you know, why she's not a human being, you know, like I just didn't understand the concept whatsoever. And so I, I just was I, I, I couldn't stop thinking about it. I remember going to work and I just, I was like, I, I was asking people I worked with if they had heard anything and they didn't know what I was talking about. Everybody was looking at me like I was like a, you know, just a Martian or something. And then I, I was, I was trying to find any information and it, it took me months really to even get any it, I think it was like a, there was a Rolling Stone article on the kind of on the same thing, but they went into depth and they interviewed Johnny Johnny Rotten I think and I just everything about it just appealed to me every every everything appealed to me and um, and I think with my little brother he was always such my 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 best friend but he was like my little tag along brother so anything that I had an interest in he kind of immediately adopted and then my sister was re- you know she was really into it I th- I think she was the first one in the family that actually. Bought, never mind the bullock she she was working and I remember I was waiting for a paycheck and, and and i I talked her into buying it when it first came out because I couldn't I didn't have the money and she did it and I remember us going home and listening to it my mom was at work and we were listening to it we were I remember we were listening to the song bodies you know which is just so it was then it was so so insanely shocking and uh we just kept playing it over and over again you know and we were all just like I think from first we were laughing and going listen to this but then it was like there's something about the intensity that just really appealed to all of us and stuff. And uh, we, I remember my mom hearing it later and she's like, what are you guys listening to? Like, she wasn't even like, she wasn't even trying to tell us we couldn't listen to it. She just didn't understand where, what it was about. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, that, that was, I think it was this TV show. And then um, just, just kind of looking through, trying to find any kind of uh, mention of it in, in, in rock magazines. Cream was really good. Cream magazine, Rolling Stone, they were really good. They'd had a couple of writers that would always kind of mention it a lot. Um, Lester Bangs was talking about it a lot. He was you know back then, I loved it, anything that he wrote. So it was kind of like just through the you know we, we and we also were in Reno. There was no in like media wise that we, we we were like five, ten years behind everybody else. So there was no way really to to find that out unless you really you 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 sought it. <laughs> you know you went right. out you
2: yeah. looking, <laughs> looking for scraps of the table. You were just like anything, oh, anything. a
3: lifeline. Yeah absolutely yeah and and then i remember finally the record stores would start carrying what they you know they'd have a new wave section so there'd be like blondie and talking heads and stuff and you know i bought all of that stuff but i was like nah this isn't what i'm looking for there's the i'm i'm yeah you know, and then finally i mean it lit, it, the funny thing was is that the first uh sex missiles when they when the sex missiles album was released in america they the record store that we were going to Got a, a box of them, but refused to put them out on the on display because they were worried about. I think they were worried about a legal thing, maybe. But I now now I think back and I'm like, well, maybe it was just a publicity stunt. Maybe they just figured if they if they kept it from the the few people that would want those records, it would just create more of a buzz about it and stuff, which it kind of did. But uh I remember begging the guy, I'm like, please, you know, can we can can we just buy it now? And he's like, no, 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 we're we don't want to get in trouble. And we're like, well, you you have the records here, why won't you sell it to us? You know. So, yeah, it was just kind of – there was this big buzz around it that, that I, I didn't quite understand, and I, I just was uh, adamant. I wasn't going to take no for an answer, and eventually we started to find – we found in the back of, I think, Cream Magazine, there were ads about you could you could order records and, and tapes. And we, we found a guy that was selling bootleg live uh, Sex Pistol and Clash um, cassettes and Buzzcocks and jam, The Jam and all that stuff. And so we started to buy these, like, cassettes from – this guy in new york we just mail order it and um that really helped out because then not only could we hear the bands the the songs but we could hear them what they sounded like live and it all sounded like shit you know it was like you know poorly recorded or whatnot but again that that just that just built up the the allure that just made me love it more and and uh i think it just i think you know now now reflecting on that you know i've talked to a hundred people that I know that grew up musicians, you know who who said kind of the same thing, they experienced the same thing. they were just like, yeah, it just it it called out to me, sure, <laughs> I <was> like, <laughs> yeah, I guess this is my I guess this is it, you know, yeah,
2: <laughs> this is the life path, yeah, yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> Um you mentioned and I know that like almost every single interview that you've done, you know, people talk about, you know, being alcohol and drug free still, um you know, and you know, at this point it clearly is like who you are rather than obviously a label you put on yourself. I mean, yeah. that's that is the reality. Um it, now that people, you know, interact with you and you've obviously, you know, traveled through what I like to call the civilian world for sure. for many years now. You know, how do people read to you where it's just like wait, what do you mean you don't drink like what do you what, what you drugs no you, you've never done them like how do people uh, I guess process that with you
3: I, I don't I don't I don't recall it being I don't think it, it really it has been a thing like I, because you know I just I didn't do that stuff at her I mean I did when I was young I tried all of it I tried drinking with my all my teenage buddies and smoking pot and I even tried so they they had the cross top they call them uh they had all kinds of names for them but they were it was basically speed and i had friends i remember in high school that would take it and it would they would just you know fly through two classes and i remember i tried it and it just made me so uneasy and i was sweating and i was my, like like gr- grinding my teeth and i was just like why would this be a good thing like there's nothing fun about this at all it's just like you know so but my my most of my I mean all of my adult life I I just never did it and you know the, of course we got kind of lumped into the straight edge thing because we we were early on we were a part of a part of a scene that kind of just said no we were you know friends with minor threat we played shows together and we kind of identified with them in the sense that we were all just underage you know, or young people who didn't sort of subscribe to whatever it was that you're supposed to subscribe to when you turn 16 or 17 or whatever. Um, but we, we just kind of got lumped into that. And, and, you know, I never, never identified a straight edge. And it's funny cause, cause I'll see old interviews, you know, I'll see like old interviews where from like 84, where I'm saying, well, we're not really straight edge. We're, I guess you could say we're straight, but you know, I was always trying to make that, you know, just make that clear because I, I kind of early on sensed that it was going to go in a direction that I just thought was going to be too restrictive and too militant and stupid. And, and, uh, and I was right. Everything about it just kind of turned into this, this nightmarish, you know, it, 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 it made for a lot of negativity in the, in the music scene itself, the underground music scene. And, you know, you'd get, kids would get beaten up for, for drinking a beer or, or even wearing a band t-shirt that was identified for beer, being beer drinkers, you know, just stupid shit like that. And so I, I immediately just wasn't, uh, wasn't into it, but it is who I am. You know, I don't, I don't, uh, I just never found the need for it. I never found that much interest in it. And, um, I've had just as much fun and I've gotten in just as much trouble as anybody I know that's been a, a stoner or an alcoholic. So I, I just feel like I, you know, and I, and I don't judge anybody, you know, I've, 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 I've grown up around alcoholism and I've, I've had some of my closest friends have, have really, uh, you know, almost succumbed to that. So I, it's a serious deal and I don't, I don't treat it lightly. You know, I don't uh, look down on it and I don't, I try not to judge anybody based on, you know. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's just one of those things. I've, I've never really thought about too much unless somebody brings it up. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> no, for sure. For sure. It, especially too when it's like, it, it kind of, you know,
2: especially with the labeling of yourself. Like, I mean, I'm, you know, 40 years old, like I mentioned, and, you know, I label myself a straight edge. But it's like, I don't need to do that. Like, <laughs> cause most people I would say that to are just like, well, what, what is that? Who cares? Right. <laughs> and the people that do know that it's like, well, I mean, okay, cool. But like now you're just an adult. You don't have like, there's nothing that's really. You could just say you're a non-drinker or sober or whatever. But I'm like, well, if I do that, then you know the dumb kids that have labeled themselves straight edge will win, and I can't let that happen.
3: <laughs> well, yeah, no, that's a really good point, and, and and I there was a time where I think it was good to uh, to identify if 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 you felt right. I you know I understood why, and I and I think I probably started. I did lean into that a little bit, and I, I know my brother Steve did too. But it but but it's just, um, yeah, you know, because it, it, it's kind of like you it needed to sort of like what the idea was so unpopular in the beginning at the, at the, at the time that, that minor threat sort of made it a thing um, that it, it gave a lot of people around the, not even the country around the world, just sort of this, like uh, it was, not, it was nice to have something to rally around. that wasn't like promoting stupid, like decadence and just being out of your fucking head all the time. And I, I also, because I was putting on so many shows when I was younger, I knew what it took to just get a hall, somebody that owned a hall or a club to let me come in and book a show. The the work that it would take to just convince them, let alone the money that I'd have to scrape up and finding a PA system. And, and, you know, I mean, we didn't do security or any of that stuff, but it was just kind of like, there would always be the one kid that would come there who had been drinking out in the parking lot. And then would just come in and, and, wreak havoc and start shit. And I just was like, I, there was just zero tolerance in my mind. Like I, the, 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 probably the last few times in my life I've been physically violent was in that situation where I was just like, you're not going to destroy what so many of us want and are working hard to keep going. And if I have to beat the shit out of you, and maybe I'll, you'll beat the shit out of me, but it's going to happen, you know? And I was really, really adamant about it. And I think that's why in Reno, at least people, there was this sense that, oh, the guys in seven seconds are like straight edge Nazi guys, you know? And it was never the case. It was just like, you know we have this thing that we all want and you want to be here and it's like why are you fucking uh breaking the mirror in the in the women's bathroom like why are you doing this dumb shit that you know go like go home and do that stuff you know like don't do it here so yeah it i and so my own young mind i would attribute that to just being somebody that was out of their minds drunk and then you know it, it was easy to just go you know see see why i hate this shit right. but but yeah. again you know like I, as i've grown up and i've gotten in have a better understanding of it you know i i i do have empathy for anybody that has a problem with any of that stuff you know and i i just i feel like um to just be straight edge and just say well fuck them that's they're, they're weak or whatever you know I, I i i never related to that mentality i just never thought that that was uh it just didn't make sense to me
2: sure sure well it's, and plus you know considering the. <clears throat> the broad tent that you have built the band around and in, like you want to be as welcoming to as many people as possible. And like, clearly when you're drawing that dividing line in some aspect, like that, you know, that, right. That, that's the antithesis of what Seven seconds is about. So like, yeah. 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 Uh, and kind of on that same tip, that same tip where, you know, when the band started in, like you started to, you know, tour and kind of get out there because, you know, a lot of these, uh, you know, paths that you were traveling on, uh, you know, had not really been toured before. <laughs> like, you know, yes, yeah. you were, you know, falling down the road of, you know, whether it's Minor Thread or Black Flag or anything like that. But, you know, how, like, did you enjoy touring initially? Or was it one of those things where it's like, holy moly, like, this is not what I, like, bargained for or anything like that?
3: And not only did I enjoy it, I still enjoy it. Like, I still really love, I mean, it's harder now, I gotta admit, because the last few tours I've done have been as a solo guy, and I'm just me and my van driving around the country, you know, alone, and, you know sleeping that in and out of the van, but there is a part of it that just um I, I i think maybe because my family we moved around so much when we were kids there was always this this as much as I hated moving and I hated changing school districts and all that stuff it, it was kind of fun and and liberate you know I was, was, was I don't know it it, it 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 made me appreciate my mom even though that's part of the reason why my mom always felt really kind of shitty later on in life like I just moved us around a lot it's like yeah, but it was kind of fun. We always had fun. You know, it was like, it was exciting moving into a new place and getting to know new people. You know? But I, I, I do have a sense. I do love to travel and, and I like to, tra- I'm. <laughs> my wife would laugh. My wife Allison would laugh hearing that because she's always trying to, she's like, we should go, you know, travel and go, you know, but I'm not like a vacation guy. I like to travel with meaning. You know what I mean? Like I like to have a, a, a work to do when I get to someplace, you know? So but yeah, I I loved it right from the beginning, and I took to it. I felt like um, I was just sort of, I was I was ready to travel and 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 get out there and and just not have uh, too many. Um, I mean, back you know we we're talking like what eighty one, eighty two, when we really first started to hit the road a lot. Um, you know, there was no, it, it was everybody was stupid. Everybody, all the band people that we knew, the people that were helping to book shows, nobody had. I mean some people didn't even have driver's licenses or, or I remember I had a van and I didn't have it wasn't registered. You know, there were they didn't have like current tags or whatever. And we would just do stupid shit like that. We'd just go go to LA and 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 hope for the best. Hope we didn't get pulled over, you know, like and and it was just it was all just really fun and, and it felt like we were we were doing something really big and, and and important, you know, at least for us and and uh I, yeah, I loved that. I loved all of it. You know, even though even the really rough stuff like you know just staying at houses with sketchy people and and having to worry about you know your your equipment getting stolen or you know crazy weird shows where there was violence going on you know all of it was just uh contributed to like getting a better sense of of society and humanity as a whole i guess in some way i don't know i don't know how but it did you know so yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I like it. I I I I still think it's a, I still sort of romanticize a little bit about it, but and I should know better cuz I know I know how how uh, lame and hard it can be, especially when you're, <laughs> I just turned 60, so it's like the idea of being, you know, 60 in a van. I'm sure I could do it really well and I I I'm, I'm you know, I I have it down, but I'm like, I don't know, there's something kind of crazy about that. <laughs> it's like <laughs>
2: Yeah. Oh no, for sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, cause it, uh, touring is, you know, means a lot of different things to a lot of different people and you know your relationship can ebb and flow over time. But, you know, right. just that notion of what you're talking about, of the idea that like, yes, this, th- this sort of general pursuit of, you know, new experiences is something I enjoy. And that's, you know, that's at the core of it, you know, why people kind of get out there and, you know, travel and tour and stuff Absolutely. like that. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, it, it, it kind of hit, hitting on the notion that, you know, once you guys started to, you know, develop a following and like the idea of, you know, working with other record labels besides like BYO and kind of, you know, spread your wings a little bit uh, and the business implications of like, oh my gosh, like we got paid $500 to play a show or whatever. Like, you yeah. know, just these things that like were not ever in your scope of understanding, you know. How did that uh, kind of hit you as you started to try to like navigate the professional side of being, you know, the music business, as it were, was that something that you just try to keep it at an arm's length or did you actually, you know, I kind of enjoy that process.
3: It, it you know, it was, the, it, it, it's so different now, of course. And, and now there's no, now the business kind of the, now there's a, a real keen sense of like being part of some industry or some business back then that did not exist. Like you could, even if you were signed to a record label, I mean, we didn't even hire an a, an, an attorney until probably 15 years after we'd already been a band, you know, our, our first couple of deals with B- BYO or, you know, it was mostly handshake stuff. We had, we had an agreement, but we didn't really know how to read it and we didn't want to. We, we, we almost felt like by bringing an attorney into the situation, even though everybody in their, their mother who was smart and who are our friends said, get a lawyer, get a lawyer, get a lawyer. Um we felt like it was almost like uh, just like sacrilege. like it was just awful to even like this is about community, man, no we're not none of us are here to hurt each other, you know and and I did I was that naive, and I was that kind of foolish to think that that was really what we were kind of dealing with and 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 i because i wanted that to be the the reality you know but yeah later on we realized we started to understand like oh you know there's interest in the band people are making money off the band we're making money off the band i guess we really should start thinking a little being a little smarter about it whatever and you know we finally got a booking agent and all that stuff um but yeah i mean it's just like it's funny i go to um I've been trying to kind of go back and find, I'd like do a almost like a, um, just a like a, a, a listing of all the shows we've ever played. And, and, and for the first five years I, ha- I had that in a book and I ended up losing it. But I, I'm kind of going back and there's various things online. You can look up different bands, like their concert list or whatever. And it's funny to see, like you'll see Black Flag would play like the Mabuhi Gardens in San Francisco, sometimes twice a month, but definitely once a month, you know? nowadays that like the i no band would go and play the same market you know you wouldn't even call it a market you know they no, they'd never go play the same city like twice a year you know what i mean like it's just there'd be some contract kind of clause you know clause some contract that said you know radius clause or some crazy thing so it's all it's all really different and and i i admit i i sort of don't i, I don't understand how it's done now like if i didn't have a booking a person a booking agent i really wouldn't understand in my mind, it's still like, um, hey, you know, how about we, we let's do a bunch of shows three months from now? It was like nobody books three months, you know, you, like now everybody's booking already. Like people are already booking in twenty twenty, you know, twenty two or whatever. And so I still have that mentality where it's just like. Um, I, I, I appreciate the underground aspects of it and the, and this sort of the the, the spontaneous of like, Hey, you guys want to do a show? Yeah, of course we want to do a show. Can you pay us anything? Yeah, we can, you know, we'll, we'll give you a 50 bucks and we'll feed you. Okay. Sounds good. You know, those days are over <laughs> and it's kind of, I, I kind of, I kind of, I, I kind of hate that they are, I mean, on my own level. And again, as a performer or whatever, um, i still try and keep that open like my i'm always uh, telling my margie my booking agent i'm like you know i'm happy that you can get me money playing at a club and that's probably what's going to bankroll this whole thing but i still want to be able to play at some kid's basement or play at a record store or play at a clothing you know like a thrift store i like doing that kind of stuff and i don't really care that i it's nice to make money but i don't it's not the thing that's going to stop me from playing the show if if i don't make money you know and and you're not really that's not really a smart a way to do things but i can't shake, right. i can't I, I can't quite shake that so you know i just try to <laughs> i try to gauge you know but, but yeah it's it's all different thing now and and you know it, uh, we're, we're getting especially now with this crew the crew reissue thing going everybody's like so what are you guys going to tour again and it's like no nah, you know we we pretty much when we said we broke up we we broke up you know i mean there I, I never say never i'm not that stupid but i also am like you know we're We're all, you know, older and and not as in shape as we'd like to be. And and there's, if if the four of us were like, hey, what do you think? Want to do a show? Want to do two shows? If everybody was into it, I'd do it in a heartbeat. But yeah, it it would. The whole dynamic now. We just got a crazy offer to to open a show for a really big name band, and the money was so insane. And and my first thought was like, I just want to say yes because we could all use that money. But then my other thought is like, we've never we never took a show based off because of money and there's no reason now that we're sort of retired to start doing that now. And so, yeah, it's, it's a crazy, you know, you start thinking about that stuff and you, you kind of wish that you didn't have those, you don't want it to pop up in your head, especially like at this stage, you know, it's just.
2: Yeah. Right. Well, and, (laughs) and plus it's like that idea, like, you know, when you do get to the point of it's like, Oh yeah, dude, do you want to play, you know, with uh, the Foo Fighters at Wembley stadium? And it's like, That first of all, that would never even occur to me. And like, would that even, you know, you kind of distill it like, okay, the money's great. But then like, would that actually be fun? Like, would would any, you know, you have to parse through like, not only, you know, does the financial gain like, that's cool. But like, are all these other things in line? And if they don't feel right, then yeah, I can understand why you would say no, even if it's like, you know, a stupid offer or whatever.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly right. And and that's kind of, you know, the, the, it, that's a, that, yeah, exactly. Like, and you, and you do, you know, you do sort of, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I also, you know, over the years we were also like, You know, I remember we got offered to do the Warp Tour, and we were like, we were always sort of like, we were always talking shit about the Warp Tour. You know, it was just the thing to do, and we had friends that went on it and had weird experiences, and it just we were always like, ah, you know, who needs a Warp Tour? And then we got asked to do it, you know, and it was like the, you know, we could play, you know, as many dates as we wanted. You know, they were going to put us on the main stage, they would put us on the side stage, we were going to, we're going to be all over the place. And so the first thing we did is like well let's see what let's see what the rest of the lineup looked like let's see if there's going to be friends that are going to be playing you know if we if we know that we've got friends that were that are on the thing you know, on the tour, then at least we know that part of it will be fun you know um, so and, and then it was like finally we said yes because it was like yeah we, there's like five friends of ours that are playing on the bill. We get to share a bus with h2 o we're all buddies um, we don't have to drive ourselves we don't even have to feed ourselves like bands eat amazingly well on the warp tour. And yeah, we probably won't make the money that we'd make if we were headlining our own club date, you know, every night, but it'll be an experience that we, if, if it is, if we do it and it ends up being bad, then we can say, ah, see, we knew all along it was going to be a lame situation or Hey, it turned out to be better than we thought it was going to (laughs) be, you know? So, and, uh, so yeah, it was like, you know, there, there, we've made these decisions where we get asked to play something and we've, we've turned things down, plenty of things down, but it's also like. You know, we've never turned down like like in the situation like, hey, the Foo Fighters invited you. I, you know, I'd go, hey, you know, uh, I, the Foo Fighters are fine. I don't have any problems with that. But then I would start thinking like, and hey, Dave Grohl seems like a nice guy. You know, he's been really supportive of of bands of our. You know, our our. Ilk or whatever, but then I'd start thinking like, okay, shit, do we have to get up early to go have a sound check at like noon? You know, do we have to drive to? How do we get access into the stadium? You know, I'd be thinking of all of this stuff. Right. And I'd be like, that's where I would. I'd be like, nope, forget it, I'm out. <laughs> it's like
2: totally yeah. like this yeah. doesn't. This doesn't feel. Yeah, this doesn't feel right.
3: Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
1: PurdueGlobal.edu um the
2: uh there definitely comes a time you know I me mean, especially because you know punk rock and hardcore in general is obviously a youth based culture and you know that notion of uh you know quote unquote aging gracefully within the context of punk and hardcore like you know, that, uh, that means different things to different people. And you know, how, like, I mean, you are certainly still clearly prolific in regards to all the music and art that you put out, you know, but how, um, I guess, how do you subvert the idea of like being that, you know, whatever bitter old man on the porch being like, Oh man, like punk and hardcore used to be so great 15 (laughs) years ago or whatever, you know, like, and I'm sure that that is a, thought that, that crosses your mind, but you know, do you, or, or maybe you don't even think about that. Uh, you know, how does that kind of, I guess, ping pong around your brain?
3: I, you know, I struggle with it probably every day. If I, if I'm online, if I'm on social media and I see a a mention of something, or I see a, someone telling a story that, that I sort of relate to, or I, I I could, I can vouch for whatever. I, I, you know, I always have an opinion and I always have to fight chiming in because I realize, um, I realize that you can be just that sort of grouchy old know-it-all that everybody is just go you know that i mean there's a reason for a you know hashtag okay boomer you know there's a, there's a reason for that yeah. hashtag and i understand it i totally get it and and i really do i try as best i can to not be that old guy and i and i, it, it, I fail because i still have people go you know kev i love your post man you, you're such a grouchy old man and i'm like god i didn't think i was even being grouchy in that post i thought i was being like you know i thought i was being kind of funny and and cute and You know, and that's the other thing too. Is is like there's a you know it's there's a misunderstanding of that. But I'm not bitter. I don't feel bitter. Like I I have more people. It's always loving friends or people that really grew up with Seven Seconds and love still profoundly love the band. They're the ones that always plan it in my head that like we never got the uh, the. you know, the, 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 in, the attention that we deserve. And it's, I won't even think about it until someone says, man, it just kills me that you guys, you know, this, there was a list of top 20 da, 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 and you guys aren't on it or, you know, and I'm like, wow, I, I wasn't even thinking about this, but now you got me thinking about it. You know, should I, should I be pissed? You know, should I, be <laughs> I care? Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had, and I had this conversation with Ian McKay not long ago and I just said, we, we you know, we whenever we talk, it's always a you know, we, we we always inevitably will get around to this something like this subject and and, and, and he you know, he he said, Yeah, and he goes, Are you kidding? You guys, you know, you guys you guys kinda like lived it in I mean I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, You guys lived a dream. You lived a dream that you know, you had this little dream, you didn't got to travel all around the world, you made a little money, you got to you know. and I'm like, Yeah, that's it. I mean I that's that in my mind that's what I carry around with me most of the time, you know. So yeah, I, I it's important for me to not be that um that old boring grouchy guy and and sometimes I think it comes out I I like I all notice it lyrically in in like a the last few 7 seconds records where I'm I'm probably just having this internal discussion in my you know my own brain based on like a conversation I had with somebody or something I saw on social media and then I'll sort of opine on it openly and then all of a sudden it becomes a song and I realize Wow, that really could just be another, you know, you suck. You don't, you know, you 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 suck, and I don't kind of thing that, that the hardcore is kind of at least early hardcore was always kind of known for it was we were always like pointing fingers and and telling the world what's wrong, but we we really weren't ex- necessarily suggesting a you know a, a, a solution, <laughs> you know, and so yeah, that's it, it, I think it creeps up. I, I mean, I, I don't I don't think you can be sixty and not have a, you know. Uh, creep up a little bit. But I think the, the key is to just try to keep yourself in check. And anybody that I know that's close to my age from this, from this sort of world, it kind of agrees, you know, we're, we're like, yeah, you, know, you know, we still want to be, we still want to be somehow, like, uh, I, I still want to be inspirational, if at all possible to younger people, like, I don't want people look at me and go, Oh, if that's what I got to look forward to, forget it, you know, like, I'd rather people, I, I also get this thing a lot where people go, Oh, you know, you're such a positive guy, you just everything you say is so positive encouraging and i'm like you really don't know me like that's not who i am but it's important for me to try to be because i know that bands uh who 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 said something or or said something in a song the way the the, the clash is a great example you know the, the clash said so many things lyrically and just just hearing their music and the energy and the way they put everything together just was always encouraging to me it was always like hey young people If I can do this, you can do this, you know, and that's, it's a really, I think it's important. I think it's important to do if, if, if that's your thing. Like, I think it's, if you can step up and and still, you know, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. No, no, (laughs) I
2: I, I get the, I get the idea because yeah, you, there definitely is a fine line between like, I, I think the most, you know, bummed out people get is when, it's always talking about the previous thing being so much better than the current thing. Right. And like, I, th- I think that's where you kind of, you know, lose the, lose the thread. And that's when people become old and jaded where it's like, oh yeah, obviously hardcore died when negative approach broke
3: up or whatever. It's exactly. just like, what? Who, that's what you say. Like, that's your fault, you know? <laughs> and that's well, not, and, and I had to learn the hard way because I, I would do that. You know, I, I like somebody, sure. would do, somebody would be, I remember in the nineties that would happen a lot where somebody would be talking about how, um, how great, Uh, How great or that's what it was like people would go, man, you guys had it made, you know, you had a great scene. All the bands were good. And I'm like, yeah, but we had fucking everybody hated us. You know, it was like we had, you know, rednecks and cops and and people in the military and our parents and like everybody really hated what was going on. Like It wasn't easy to get on a bus and go somewhere or, or it wasn't easy to ride your skateboard or ride your bike without getting harassed. But then I realized that is I'm doing that same thing I'm just going back in my day we got the shit kicked out of us for walking to the in the post office or whatever. So, yeah, it's just it's it is one of those things where again it's just balance and you know trying to find the balance of being um, you know, I mean you don't want to underplay or under you, you don't want to like dismiss what you, your life ex- your own life experience and what you've gone through, but it's like yeah, and, and most young people really don't wish, they don't care really what your opinion is on, on the, what they're doing now. You know what I mean? Like I didn't, sure. I didn't you know, It's like, right. I didn't want to hear somebody that was 40, 50, 60 years old, tell me that, well, you're kind of doing it wrong. You know, like it's just, even if they yeah. are, you know, it's, there's no point to it. It's just
2: Totally right. Yeah. <laughs> Cause yeah, you're like, well, let me figure that out old man.
3: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and that's what I said. I said the same thing. Like, well, I don't need you to tell me how to do this. You know? And the truth is, I probably did need that, but I just, I was, I needed to learn. I needed to fall on my own face 25,000 times. And, and, uh, you know, I, yeah, I, I, just, uh, you know, some people just need to go through that. They don't want to, they don't need to use your experience to teach them. And, and if they do, they'll let you know if they want advice or they, they ask you something, try and be accessible, try and be uh, gracious and humble and, and, uh, speak from your heart. And I think you're on a, on the right path.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Two last things I want to hit on before I let you go was the, Mm -hmm. um, you know, because music and your pursuit of it, you know, is clearly hardwired in you. um, But there definitely is a, you know, distinction between, you know, like having to do it and then still caring about it. But I I think in my opinion, you definitely blend the two together appropriately because, you know, there are definitely, uh, you know, artists where it's just like, you don't care about this, but you have to. Like you're just doing this because you know whatever. It's like performative, or um, you know. Like, so like I, who? I, like
3: like who? I'm just. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no,
2: no, no, no. I know, but I, I. But I mean, you put me on the spot, so it's like I'm trying to think of uh, of a of a, an example. But like, yeah, I mean, nothing comes to my head. But and I know you're joking, but um, yeah. just that idea of you know a person, uh, you know, having to live up to whatever expectation that like, it's like, Oh, they are this person from this band or whatever. So like, I constantly need to be this person regardless of anything else that surrounds me. But like you combine your artistic output with the fact that like, you still truly do care about it. And I guess in simplest of terms, like why, you know, why do you still care? <laughs> like, I you know that's care? a good question.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I think it, the one thing I think is, I think for us is that we, we, we over the years did pretty well and we, we got some from recognition. Like there have been times where I, I know that people were like, Oh yeah, they were one of the bigger hardcore bands in the eighties or whatever. But I don't think we like, if I, if I look at us compared to like, say some of our, you know, like, I don't know, bad, uh, uh, bad religion or, uh, I'm trying to think of really big, big bands that from that era, descendants bands that we played shows with, we kind of grew up with and came up from the same thing. Um, we, we, we were really never like a name brand punk band, you know, we, we did well, people, you know, a lot of kids got into us and stayed into us. Some people dropped off for whatever reason, but we never had that. I never had a sense of ourselves as being like this band that was just so big that we were stuck to any, and that's one of the reasons I think we had, we felt the freedom to just do whatever we wanted musically in, in the eighties, you know, we started to change things quite drastically and, and, you know it 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 got us it, made, it we went from being the kind of sweethearts of the of the underground punk heart you know hardcore punk rock scene to being like what are the, why are they why do they sound like you too like why are they doing this now you know people got really it took it personally even and so i think because we just sort of always just did whatever the fuck we wanted and and maybe because we were like like little Hicks from Reno, even I don't even know. I mean, I've, I've I've considered this. Maybe we were just too dumb to know any better, you know. And we didn't we didn't have a sense of like where we sat, you know, status wise, in, in the in 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 all of it. So there was never a sense that we needed to live up. At least I feel like I never felt a sense of needing to live up to anything other than. Um, When if we make it to your town and we make it to the venue, we will do everything we can to help you have fun and and we want we want to have fun with you. You know, it's not we don't want to just be entertainers for the night. We don't want you to just you know here here's the music, everybody go home, get our money. Like let's just have a great fucking night together. Let's not fight. Let's not hurt each other. And and then we'll move on. You know. And that was kind of always the the sort of quiet guarantee like we're not going to try to i'm not trying to change your world if if you're inspired if some things i've said resonate resonate with you um that's awesome you know i love it and i'll never uh i'll never shit on that but i also feel like um that you know it was always just about fun and just 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 appreciating the community that we're all part of at that moment and and whatever happens tomorrow happens tomorrow you know whatever happens when so and so come in in town and play that may be a whole different thing, you know? And, yeah. and, and that's, and, and really it never changed for us. I don't think, I don't think we ever had a, a, had a sense of that changing really. I think we always went, that's one of the reasons that I, you know, people would say, what's it like being a band for 35 years, you know? And sometimes I would think, oh yeah, that's right. We've been around that long, but I, then I think, Hey, we just t- had a 300 mile van ride together and none of us We still like each other. We still love each other. We still joke and we still have fun hanging out at a Denny's or whatever. Um, I can't, I don't, I don't know. I guess it feels pretty good as long as we don't suck on stage and we don't look like a bunch of boring old men. I, I think we're, we're, we're doing okay, you know? And that's, right. that's how it is. I mean, our last, you know, the last couple of tours of, of seven seconds, you know, before, prior to us calling it a day, we had phenomenal shows. You know, we went on a U.S. tour. It, it did really well. We had, there were a lot of young people come to shows. I've seen videos since then. And we don't all look like a bunch of, you know, just like stick in the mud. Like we, we, we look like we're digging it, you know? And, 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 and I remember going, wow, that was an amazing show. So, uh, you know, again, I, I I I can't really complain and I I don't mean to sound like I'm trying to live up to some posy core you know guru guy but I really do feel like we just um we did it until it just we, we physically couldn't do it anymore for a number of reasons both you know physical and mental <laughs> emotional but also just um we we the fun stayed intact the entire time you know and I know tomorrow if we were all feeling good and everybody was you know, in the right spirits. And we went out and got on a stage. I know we'd have an, an amazing time. And I think the people who were, would be there to, to see us would have a great time as well. So. Yeah. Well,
2: <laughs> you no. Know, and I, I really like that. Not only were you following the muse artistically, but then at the core of it, you're just like trying to keep it distilled down to the simplest components. And that is what, you know, keeps yourself prolific. And obviously the band's health, at the forefront rather than, you know, chasing, yeah, commercial stardom or whatever. Like you said, you know, it's like once you guys decided to, you know, be the band that you were and not just continually, you know, uh, write the same record over and over, uh, that, you know, that could, that could have led you down the road of not releasing music ever again.
3: Right. (laughs) For sure. And, and, you know, like you mentioned earlier and I joked about it, but there are, we, we all have seen the bands that have been around just a little too long and they're just, they're, they look miserable and they're, You know, if you've if you've traveled with a band or played shows with a band, and you see how things are backstage or you know outside, you know before the show or after the show, you're just going, "Why are you still doing this?" Like it can't be the money. Like if we're if we're all both you know sharing a stage in a club that holds six hundred people, you know, none of us are making so much money that it's that the money is is why we do we do this. You know, so. I, I just don't I remember going and seeing a couple bands on, on out big outdoors you know punk bands on big outdoor stages and i I remember whispering to my wife saying like please I know you love me and you you never want to hurt my feelings but if i ever if you ever see me looking that miserable and completely disconnected from everything that's around me at that moment, whatever it takes do what you can to tell me you know like I, I right. don't want Work my legs right <laughs> something something like i I just i I, I don't that was always my biggest. I don't know if it was a fear, but I always just thought, I just don't ever want to look that uninter- uninterested and, and disconnected. And, 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 and meanwhile, you know, the, the band, I've seen a couple of bands like that, they're raking it in, they're making so much money. And I'm like, I guess that's it. I guess at that point you're like, well, you know, we, we don't have to struggle. We're, we're traveling around on a nice fancy bus or we're flying to and from gigs. I guess, you know, you, you have to come to your own, uh, you have to do your own inventory and figure out that that's, that's what it's about, you know? And, and I'm not going to judge it's, if that's what you're into and everybody's into it. That's, that's what it is, you know? But yeah, on, on, on our, our on our personal little thing, we were just always like, we we always, uh, I always tried to bring it up every once in a while without trying to be the bummer of the band. And I just said like, you know, are, are you sure you're having fun? Even before every tour, I'd be like, are, are you sure you're into this? Like, I don't, I don't want this to be a thing. You feel like you have to do it because you're going to make more money in two weeks doing this than you would at your shitty job at home. You know, like, please tell me now if that's the deal, because I don't want to do this. And, 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 you know, I think we all really would think long and hard about it and just say, all right, we're in, this is why we're doing it. And it was all good, you know?
2: yeah no for sure uh and, and the last thing was you know on that tip with the fact that you know the re-release of the crew and everything like that um you know it's exciting for a multitude of reasons one the fact that this music and kids live on you know digitally for you know children to, to consume in the year's future right. um and then also just you know appropriately documenting uh you know the final re-release and having you know so many different uh elements that make it you know ultimately meaningful for you and then meaningful for people that this record resonates with. Um, Did you just feel like, uh, because you know, you were able to find Joe and trust records uh, like it was just kind of like right place, right time scenario, or had this idea been kind of like percolating for a while, it was just a matter of, you know, finding the appropriate uh,
3: vehicle for it. Um, We, we didn't find Joe and, 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 trust. They found us. And, and I actually have known Joe for years and, and I, I love him. He's a friend and, and whatever we, um we're at a point now where a lot of our records are sort of hitting this uh, hitting this mark you know to where there's 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 uh it's a weird thing because my biggest beef with a lot of our records still is that they're just unavailable you can't find them on um physical form you can't find them on social media they're not being streamed and i might not even think about it uh except that i just have i I still am plugged in not so i'm the only one in the band really that's stays plugged into the social media thing. So, I'm always reading stuff and I'm always getting emails and messages saying, "How come I can't find blah 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 on on Spotify or whatever?" And I I when I realize I have no answer. I don't even know like I'm so uh disconnected from like past record label obligations and and publishing stuff and all this stuff that it starts to get. It's kind of like when you have not worked out and you gain a bunch of weight and you, you're like, man, I just don't even know where to begin. Like, I, I feel like I might as well just eat another, you know, something because I'm I it's a terrible analogy, but I, I just you get stuck in your own head of what to do. And so people were I even had lawyers contacting me saying, hey, you know, the rights to you, this album is it could be reverted back to you. If you get them, you can do whatever you want with it. You can release it yourself or you can have somebody else. So that stuff was kind of starting to come up and we were very unhappy with the fact that all the stuff on BYO was unavailable on Spotify. I know Spotify is evil and all this other shit, but ultimately and, – and I've talked to a number of my, my peers in the scene that I love and respect a lot. Ultimately, we all just want our music, the music that we worked really hard to make and get out and keep out and promote. We just want it available, especially at this stage in our lives because um, – you know there there are younger people that are getting into the, into this music all the time and and if they don't have access to it, you know uh, in the ways that kids now get access to it, it's kind of it's it's defeating the whole thing. Like why does the record even exist if you're not going to you know? So I was really happy uh, initially when I when I talked to Joe when they approached us. I I just I was very. I was kind of standoffish and I just said, dude, I got to admit, I'm just, I'm so fed up with just the record label shit and just this and that and all the talk. And I'm like, you know, it, uh, you know, let, give me an idea what you guys are thinking about and I'll I'll, I'll, I'll talk to the guys about it. And Joe just really made a very compelling, like he just laid it out. He said, look, we're fans first and foremost, you know, we're, we just want to, we want to do right by these records and and we believe we can do it. And we, we wouldn't want to do anything that would, you guys will be bummed out. You guys will be involved at every in every aspect of it. If you don't want to be involved at all, that's fine too. And everything was just we just had these great discussions. And I talked to you know it was I talked to Joe more than anybody really. And I just I thought well and they technically they license they they picked up the the rights to the BYO record so they can release this stuff legally and just do it and they, and not. Even consult us, they'd have to pay us, you know. But for in terms of royalties and stuff, but they could just do it, you know. They don't, they didn't have to, uh, you know, make sure that we felt comfortable and good about this whole thing. But at every turn, there's just been, I mean, I I just said, look, I'm a hands-on guy, I always have been, and even if I've made mistakes, they're my mistakes on behalf of the band. The band trusts me enough to let me do it. So, you know, if if you want there to be goodwill between us, then just guarantee me that you're not going to do underhanded shit in the name of marketing and and you know even if you think it's a good idea at least run it by us first because nobody knows this band better than us and what we how we want to be represented and as much as i know that we all want the crew to be sold to you know the millions of youth out there the reality is that i mean my thing always is like look the people that, that want the crew probably have the crew but it's this whole new life now there's the you know it's been remastered which is something i always i wanted to do forever um, it's back to its original form you know back to the original colors which there was always a dispute about that. We never wanted it to be anything but the black, white, and red. Um, and these guys have just committed. Uh, they said, "Look, we're down. Let's do it. They'll tell us what you want. We'll work with you on it and stuff." And so, um, you know, it, here we are in twenty <laughs> twenty one. I mean, I I seriously, I I I kind of stopped doing interviews because I just got kind of tired of. I wasn't really promoting anything, and I, I I sort of felt like, what what am I, you know, what am I talking about? You know, I'm talking about stuff that happened forty years ago but because of all this stuff i i told them i said look if if you need you know me to do interviews or press stuff i'm in i'm not excited and i'm not a big fan of that stuff anymore but i want to you know i i i think it's worth it and i think the record is you know i think the record's a great record and i think that you know th- th- this new re re, re- release deserves uh, deserves a, a shot you know deserves so a little exposure and stuff so yeah, yeah. I, i'm pretty excited about it and I, and i and i feel really good about the uh the, the situation with trust. I think, I think they're in a, I think they're, they've got, they've got all the right ideas and um, you know, it's kind of cool that they did the circle jerks record. We're, we're buddies with the circle jerks and, you know, been friends with Keith forever. And, and I'm, I'm really happy that we got to do something, you know, kind of in the same on the same label, you know? <laughs> so totally. Yeah. There's like, it's, it's, it's at this point um, and, and I'll shut up at this point. Really. It, it's all about having, I, before I die, and I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon, I, I, I would just love to know that all of our music is available to whoever wants it. Like I, I, I don't care if it's on free or pay, whatever. I just want everything that we've ever done to be available in some form or fashion, and and I'll be very very happy about that. And hey, look, if it sells, and I I keel over, at least I know my my family will benefit from. You know, like my wife. Will. <laughs> so that's kind of uh, that's been our attitude from the beginning of of this whole thing, and it's been really really cool so far. I'm really Quite pleased with how it's turned out so far.
2: Yeah, no, it's awesome, and it, it does. It like you said, it just gives the opportunity for people um, because the <laughs> the scene is so mature now. It's going on, you know, yeah. forty plus years. I know that you have to have the ability to access music in whatever delivery mechanism is important to that particular generation. And like, yeah, if it's not, if it's just not there, then it's just not there. And then that gets like lost to time. And that's something that shouldn't happen with, you know, classic records like the crew and a lot of other things that you have done. So,
3: well, yeah. And and it's especially if you're going like, well, it's not available because, you know, so-and-so rips bands off. And it's like, I mean, look, I'm not trying to, I don't want to give into the like, oh, well, that's how it is. But that's kind of how it's been forever, you know. Like we, we, we've we've all gotten dicked around by distributors and and you know record labels and stuff. So it's like, well, at this point, let's just have, make sure the music's out there. And if you want to figure out a better way to get your cut of it, that's up to you. But you know, j- let's just let's just keep the music out there. There's we didn't write it and record it and tour behind it just to have it sit quietly somewhere. You know, it, it's it it doesn't it doesn't. Um, it just doesn't make sense to us. You know, it's, it's, it's counter what we, what we've worked our butts off all of these years to, to try and do, you know? So. Yep.
2: Oh no, for sure. I totally agree. Well, Kevin, thank you for letting me ping pong around your life and your musical <laughs> life and all that stuff. I, uh, yeah, I just appreciate you letting me to pick your brain. So yeah, thank you. I
3: mean, it was, it was really fun. Right. Ray. Ray, I appreciate it.
2: Okay, I am so hyped that that interview happened. Thank you very much to Bailey, his publicist. Thank you very much to Joe at Trust Records and Kevin for coming on the show and just being so, uh, just, just a great dude. Like, you can tell he still cares about music. He still cares about all the things that he is doing currently, um, which a quick Google will uh, will trip you into his whole Awesome. I mean, he's been doing live streams for a while, obviously, because there's no way to get out there and play shows. But yeah, seven seconds. This is just a really, really important conversation for me. So love that. And next week, we have Mike Schleibom, who is from Darkest Hour and Be Well and battery and a ton of other bands but I've known Mike for a long time. He actually gave me one of my first like sort of real full-fledged tour experience with my band Taken. We went out with Darkest Hour for gosh, it was like maybe 3 to 4 weeks and uh, I learned a lot from him just kind of observing how this band that was, you know, more professional than we for sure were. And uh Mike is just an incredible guy. So Had to have him on the show because he has his own custom signature guitar. There's a lot of fun stuff that we dive into. So that is what's happening next week. And until then, please be safe, everybody.
4: The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you. And how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.
0: Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs>